0: I seek to be a servant of God with you. And uh, to answer your question honestly, there's about 250 pastors in, in our ministry family here in Southern California. Um, up until last uh, July, I was also the overseer of the, of the church in Ethiopia. And so at that point, we had over 100 churches together. Uh, now we're just 65 or so. Uh, with 250 pastors of all descriptions, and it is a joy to serve the Lord with this group of people. Right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. He had to say that, right? And, you know, for clarity's sake, when the superintendent, the heavy, shows up um, and the pastor's not here, that typically does spark in some people's mind that, oh, no, he, he's he's run off with the money or he's run off with a secretary lisa relax you know (laughs) he's up at men's retreat okay and he's doing what god would have him to do and that is minister up there and uh, i'm thankful i love john i'm not in love with john we're not that kind of methodist but i love john i love john well he's he's a great man of god and i'm so thankful for for this church And you're going to hear that throughout the message. Um, First service was a meaningful time for me. I hope this is for you as well. I was a local uh, church pastor and and loved that. I started off in inner city uh, youth ministry in Los Angeles. Uh, Every night, gunfire. Once a week, automatic gunfire. Had my car stolen twice, my motorcycle stolen once. They even stole our dog. Um, And, you know, yet hundreds of kids came to Christ and, and just a glorious time. We left inner city LA and moved to Rancho Cucamonga next to Fontana, great view of the mountains. Um, and I planted a church there and God worked powerfully. Many, many miracles. And, you know, Carlos mentioned uh, St. Francis. And you think, ah, what a silly story, you know, talking to birds and... Actually, St. Francis is the patron saint of ecology. And I have my doctorate in a sense in that subject. Um, And I love the ministry of St. Francis. And one time, according to history, he negotiated a truce between a wolf and a village. And you say, that's absurd. Have you read the Bible? (laughs) There's all kinds of crazy stories in there that that we believe. And why would God stop working in wonderful, wild, crazy ways? when the New Testament came to an end. He works in wonderful, wild ways today. Any amens on that one? Thank you, Lisa. Lisa gets paid, you know, to say amen, right? No, 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 no. It's a great work of God um, that, that He wants to do through His people. And that's much of what I have to share with you today. You ready? If you've got your Bibles, you'll probably want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. And if you don't have your Bibles... It's going to be up on the platform. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit or share with you or bring a sermon today out of this text and a a few others um, regarding a prophetic call to restore, reach, and respond. And you'll recognize those three words because that's your mission statement rearranged. And I've rearranged it because I'm speaking to you as, as a church that's been restored, um, in about 1983, I, I had this corrected after first service, I said 81. In 1983, I'm old enough to have been around, and uh, I am old, Carlos. Uh, and I was here, and there was about 35 people, and this church was nearly dead. And there was a pastor who put his hands on both sides of not this pulpit, but a big wooden one, and he started the, path, the, the sermon off and he went, turning your Bibles too. That was depressing. <laughs> I thought, ooh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> the church was in trouble. But today, even with so many away at men's retreat and, and uh, many uh, doing other things because of men's retreat, This is a vital, dynamic church filled with the Spirit of God ready to continue in that restoration and respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit and reach out to people. And that's the message that Pastor John is going to be bringing to you for I guess the next four weeks. And I am so grateful for Living Spring. I'm so thankful for what God has done. I'm so thankful that you represent the kingdom of God in this ministry family as we would idealize. Thank you. Do you receive that? Yeah. Are you okay with that? I, I, by the way, I, I, honestly, I uh, come from a, a tradition, I guess you'd say, that is a little lively. So, um, honest. My, my, uh, I'm seventh generation in a row of minister. And I was named after my uncle, Stephen, who, if people wouldn't respond... He would literally get all worked up all the more. One time, he's famous for taking the, uh, the bench that was, you know, at the piano, and people weren't responding well enough, so he threw it out the window, it busted the window, and he says, I'll pay for that later, now you people pay attention. So, you know, there's, there's really nothing for me to throw, you're safe, but, but feel free to respond. Get involved, say the amen. Amen. Um, And uh, you'll stay awake a little longer, maybe. We'll see about that. Let's start. As we've already looked at, you have a mission statement that's, that's reach, restore, and respond. And I'm going to turn that around today. And again, I'm so thankful for what God has done in and through you at this wonderful place. Let's look at the word restore first. You know, it's obligatory. You have to put in definitions in a sermon, or they kick you out. You know that, don't you? Here's the, the definition of restore. It's a verb. There's a big shock. It's to bring back to previous right practice, or custom, or situation. This is a church that has been restored and is continuing to be restored. You are doing a great job in the power of the Spirit of God that is at work within you. Thank you. That is exciting. Very exciting, believe me. But I want to move on and talk to you a little bit about the D word. Okay? And I'm very well aware that I'm in Orange County, which is the epicenter of anti-denominationalism. You know, you know honestly, I, I'd like you to give me a break today because some of you thinking, oh, the denominational guy. I'm gonna be a little defensive, but I'd like you to hear. I graduated with honors as a business major in college and watched all of my business major buddies go off and make big bucks while I went into inner city Los Angeles with the bullets flinging and the nice stabbings and reaching out. Stayed there for five and a half years, saw literally hundreds of kids come to Christ, as I said earlier, and we saw an overpowering work of God we left that wonderful job after being stripped of almost everything we owned through theft and moved to Rancho Cucamonga where we literally had no salary. We worked like my wife and I worked secular jobs like the Apostle Paul, we were tent makers. And we started a church and that church grew. And then apparently I did something wrong because I became the superintendent. But, but it's been amazing since I've been in this role to experience what I would call almost spiritual racism. Am I really bad? Am I really not a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are we really not part of the family of God? And what's been a joy is to see in the, in the restorative work of God, churches like this, who say, you know, it's okay to belong to a ministry family, in fact, we like belonging to a ministry family. We're not better, we're not worse, we're not superior, we're not inferior. We're just a ministry family. So we've stopped using the D word, the denomination, because that's a scary word. And we've started using the ministry family word because that's safe, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, and I, but I want to use the D word today a little bit. Denomination, it's a recognized autonomous branch of the Christian church or a group or branch of any religion. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about our shared heritage, okay? And you gotta understand, the American church, and I wasn't raised in America, is obsessed with the church of today. Every now and then we'll sing a really old, old, old song that was written five years ago. Um, (laughs) and, and, And you know, Carlos, honestly, when we sing a hymn, everybody sits down and goes, Oh, him. And these are people that were filled with the Spirit of God and did glorious and wonderful things throughout the history of the church. The church is not the church of today. The universal church is the church from Christ until his, his second coming in all cultures and all peoples through all movements. And so it's okay to use the D word, I hope. Is that a dirty word? The D word. Okay. Oh, well, let me go back, I didn't read the second part. The face value of a banknote or a coin or a postage stamp is also a use for denomination. And let's look at denominations from that standpoint. First of all, there are a lot of denominations. There are $1 bills, $5 bills, $50 bills, $20 bills, et cetera, et cetera. And they all have, in a sense, different values and different purposes, but they all represent a single value, and that is the dollar. In the, in the church of Jesus Christ, we would always hope that whether you're 1, 5, 20, 10, etc., that you're always representing the single value of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Everybody stand up, jump up and down, say hallelujah, turn around, get all Pentecostal on us, okay? Yes, that's important. And, you know, we like some denominations. You, you like this one, don't you? And you wish you had lots and lots of those in your wallet today or in your purse, and Pastor John wishes that you would part with some of those (laughs) later in the service. Um, But bottom line is, is it's still just representative of, of a single value system, the dollar. And there are some denominations that we really don't particularly want to be drawn to, right? I mean, have you ever seen a George W. $200 bill? Would you take it? No, it's, it's not value. it's not legitimate. And so we would bypass that one. Well, I want to tell you about our history a little bit through the first Thessalonians text, because this first Thessalonians five text has been very important in our history. This first part, verses 12 through 18, I think is, is of course shared in value by all. And let's read it together, starting with the word now. Ready? Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and respect to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These first few verses up there. Call upon the people of God whether they live in Orange County in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, or first decade of the 21st century, to respect those who are in authority over you. I am so grateful that you have come to love and respect your pastor. That's the first tier, if you will, of, of spiritual authority. It never means that Pastor John is better than you. But somebody has to lead the congregation and has been gifted to lead the congregation spiritually. And you have loved and respected him. That is glorious in my mind. And in turn, honestly, Pastor John has blessed me. And this church has blessed me because I don't want to be looked down upon as I obey the call of God upon my life to lead a larger ministry family. I'm not better. And I'm not worse, I'm just appointed by the Spirit of the Lord and by the will of the people to do this job for now. And the church is beginning to understand again that we don't have to be anti. We look carefully at each situation and see if we are representing the Lord in the way that's described from verses 14 on. Are we encouraging the idle? Are we strengthening the weak? Are we admonishing all? Are we teaching people not to respond to the wrongdoings to us by being vengeful and, and, and mean-spirited? Are we being peacemakers and lovers of, of the people of God? Are we joyful always? Are we praying? Are we doing all of these spiritual disciplines that elevate the spiritual nature? of the local church and in this case hallelujah it's happening are you glad I think you should be because believe me there's a lot of churches out there that are missing the boat and it's a blessing to be a part of one that is doing this last one giving thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus well, what happened in our own history is there came a time, really, when we were in spiritual conflict with our spiritual leaders, and this goes all the way back to 1860. And I just want to give you an overview. I'm not here to, you know, bring you propaganda or say I I, uh, I went to a Jesus concert and gave my life to B.T. Roberts. Um, that's not the goal. Okay. I, but I do want you to know your, your family history in, in this particular area. Our ministry family started in 1860 and we're called Free Methodist, okay? People say, United? No, Free Methodist. And we're given that, that word free as a derogatory term to start off with. Because 1860, what happened in 1860? Anyone? Civil War. You know your history. And what was the Civil War about? Freedom. See, B.T. Roberts felt that God loves freedom and equality for all races. He felt deeply convicted that slavery was wrong. You would agree, right? But you know, there were, there were in fact, Methodist Episcopal theologians who were using the Bible to justify slavery. And B.T. Roberts said, you're reading it wrong. The letter of the law kills, the Spirit gives life, and the Spirit is calling us to a day that we recognize freedom for all races. And since the Methodist Episcopal Church at the time wouldn't take a stand, that got B.T. in big trouble. Okay, that was number one issue. The second issue is he believed that God loves it and uh, loves freedom and equality for both genders in ministry. And I want to stress this wasn't a liberal versus conservative issue back in those days like it is now. He was speaking prophetically. He believed the Spirit of the Lord said men and women according to giftedness can function in ministry leadership within the church. And that's still controversial. And by the way, hear me on this. The slavery issue, there are more slaves in the world today than ever in the history of the world. Did you know that? There are hundreds of thousands of slaves in in america that are sex slaves that are in servitude now granted they're not put on the on a stage and chains and sold but the definition of slavery is you have to work you can't leave and you don't get paid would you agree that's kind of slavish and so the spirit of the lord was working through roberts and saying these things, in his view, are wrong. They're evil. They don't represent the heart of God. He went on and he taught that God loves freedom and equality in clergy and lay balance. And again, what was happening was in the Methodist Episcopal Church, there was a lot of the clergy that belonged to the Masons and or secret societies, and they would go make decisions over here, And then they would come to church meeting and vote as a block and and be political in the life of the church. And he said, that's wrong. And that didn't go over real well with his reputation. He also believed that God loves economic equality for all people. I know this is hard to imagine, but in that day, if you were rich, you would literally buy the front pews. And you were in your family, had a social status based on that and only you were allowed to sit in the front pews these are the rich folks you know these are the ones you want to get to know and the back folks are the poor folks and you know they were second-class spiritual citizens of course we know now that if you were rich you would buy the back pews and reserve those for you but that's the way it was and he he stood up and said no this is not the way God would have us to live He also believed um, in freedom and equality in the spirit. Some of you, uh, any of you ever come come from a Pentecostal charismatic background? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. For what it's worth, Free Methodist and the other holiness groups were the the parents of the Pentecostals. We out-Pentecosted Pentecostals. (laughs) Honest. I grew up before the, the Free Methodist, when I was a little boy, I still remember what was called running the pews. Anybody know what running the pews is? If you were filled with the Spirit, supposedly, you could literally run on the back of the pews. Boom, 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 boom. Right on the top. And if you fell, you apparently weren't filled with the Spirit. (laughs) So the much safer thing was called running the aisles. You wanted to run the aisles because it hurt less if you fell. But, But Roberts and the early... Uh, ministry family believed that the Spirit of God should flow and and the gifts should flow and there were prophetic words and and healings and all kinds of glorious, miraculous things and they spread across the land, literally planting hundreds of churches in just a short amount of time. Cool, huh? Yeah. My great-grandfather planted 52 churches in his life. My grandfather planted seven. My father planted five, and I've only planted two. I'm pitiful, you know. <laughs> but it's exciting to have that kind of a zealous spiritual heritage, and that was our heritage. But here's the problem. It's not 1860 anymore. You're aware of that, aren't you? You're a very astute group, I can tell. We're hundred and 60 years later, 150 years later. It's been a long time, like Carlos said. Not as long as St. Francis of Assisi, but a long time. And there's been so many who look backwards. And this is what happened to so many ministry families, is they look backwards, and they fell out of touch with the zeal of God's work in them now. Okay? Okay? Now this text here, I got it wrong on the first service, and I had to rush around the sec- between the services and get the text. Isaiah forty three fifteen through nineteen is almost a revolutionary text because the the single greatest historic event in the people of Israel, I think you'll agree with me, was the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of the of the Egyptian army. You agree? As you read about Israel, that's their centerpiece. That's their 1860. That's their their B.T. Roberts. And you want to hang on to that. And then along comes Isaiah the prophet hundreds of years later, and he says, read it with me. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. To be restored and to always only looking back is to be out of touch with the work of of the Spirit of God in your life today. (laughs) And are you open to a new work in the Spirit of God in your life today? He might call you to preach to birds he's done weirder things yep afraid so I'm doing a new thing now it springs up do you perceive it can he make a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland for today and we live in a spiritual desert and a place that desperately needs living springs playing words there no biblical reference important biblical reference And we must respond. It's a verb. To act or behave in reaction to someone or something. The Spirit of the Lord is moving in you today, and He's seeking to awaken you today to make this an even more vital, a more alive church than any of us could ever imagine. See, He's about to do a new thing. Do you perceive it? Carlos called me Pastor Steve in first service. Did you call me that in a second? Can I I fill you guys in on something? That's the title the church is comfortable with. I'm assuming that in your six-week course you're going to take spiritual gift inventory test. I got to tell you, I kind of rate low on pastor gift. If you come to me, honestly, if I'm your pastor here, and you come to me and you tell me all the stuff that's going on in your, in your life that's all wrong and bad and wicked and evil. Here's, here's my counsel to you. Why are you doing that? Stop it. <laughs> a real pastoral, right? <laughs> You've got a great pastor. He's going to love you and shepherd you. Honestly, I operate more out of an apostolic prophetic calling. You don't want to come to me for long-term care and, and TLC because I'm going to tell you stop it come on let's go that's just my nature that's the gift of God that's it's that's within me some of you have recognized there there are many people who are called pastor pastor Jack Hayford not a pastor definitely a prophet definitely a teacher not that that much pastor you you try going and sitting with him you know what he's going to say Eddie, if you're doing something dumb Stop it! <laughs> Honest. The prophetic gift, though, is something the church is scared of, but it needs to be in the church because my definition of the, of the prophetic gift will come out a little bit in just a few minutes, but it's God speaking His heart to His people. It's not so much about the future as the now. Do you perceive it? I'm about to do a new thing, and the prophets are those people that, that share that. And this text was instrumental in our in our history because it deals with God speaking his heart and the whole consideration of being transformed body, soul and spirit or spirit, soul and body. So let's read this one together. Do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Instead, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. This text starts off by saying, don't put out the Spirit's fire. How do we put out the Spirit's fire? By holding prophecies with contempt. And I'm not talking about those weird prophecies that come in public settings necessarily you know what i mean i've hung around some wonderful pentecostal charismatics that i love and admire but it's always fun hanging around and hearing some of the weirder stuff you know i one of my dear dear friends uh, his dad was a prophet and there were a lot of other prophets in his congregation and they came up with some doozies one time a guy stood up and says thus saith the lord did i not say through my servant david or was it moses (laughs) And we're thinking, you know, it's been a long time. Maybe God forgot. No? (laughs) Another time, a guy literally stood up and he said, Thus saith the Lord, my spirit is not in this place. In fact, it is not I who am speaking to you now. And you got to think about that. Huh? You know, what does that mean? I think that means nonsense is what that means. Here's, Here's the reality. The spirit of the Lord speaks to you. Did you know that? That little whispering, that intuitive sense that you need to turn, tune into. Don't put that fire out. He's speaking to you about your life in your family. He's speaking to Pastor John and Pastor Carlos and, and the key leaders of this church about this church. You don't need me to come and tell you what the Spirit of the Lord is telling you in your life or your church. You're filled with the Spirit of God okay? Yes? Don't put that out. Be open to the prophetic. Be open to the Spirit speaking to you now. And you have, to, you have to test everything. Is it from the Lord? Hold on to the good. Is it not from the Lord? Avoid that and set it aside. Even cattle have enough common sense to eat the good part and avoid the stuff that doesn't taste good. Certainly the people of the Lord know how to taste and eat what is right for them. Yes? Yes. Absolutely. And as the Spirit of the Lord leads you, this God of peace will sanctify you. He'll transform you through and through. Your spirit, your soul, your body will take on a godly work, and He will do this. And this is our heritage. We believed in the transforming work of the Spirit of God. And we had a deep conviction that is very, very important. If I can get the slide to change. We believed in the prophetic. And we believed that we shouldn't put out the Spirit's fire. We survived even the anti-denominational movement by knowing that God had called us to be part of his body, and that we were as good as anyone else. And we over, have overcome the word Methodist. I wanna to talk to you about this for a second. I want you to hear me on this, please. We rightfully reverence the work of God in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul. Did you know the second greatest movement in the history of the church was the Methodist movement? It swept Europe. It swept America. In 1776, there was an estimated 150, quote-unquote, Methodist followers. By 1800, one out of seven Americans belonged to the body of Christ through the Methodist church. They swept across America and planted churches and brought people to Christ and saw them sanctified and saw their lives changed and healed people and, and did great and glorious things. And I grieve what's happened since then. I don't understand how this breaking of such a great movement has taken place, but it has. I had one woman come up to me at the end of the first service, and she said, thank you for explaining the differences. She said, because I was told by another that you can't go there. They ordain homosexuals as pastors. I'm gonna talk to you about this in just a few minutes, but please hear me on this. We never ordain anyone caught up in destructive, sinful behavior of any type. So we would never knowingly ordain someone living a gay lifestyle. But as you're going to hear in a few minutes, there's also no reason to be ugly and hateful and, and mean spirited towards anybody struggling with that sin or any other sin. I've got to speed up, I'm getting too preachy. Here's my definition of the prophetic. It begins with loving God and reaching out to the things that God loves by taking actions consistent with God's love. Okay? And rejecting the things that God rejects by only taking actions in a manner consistent with God's love. Let's go back to the most controversial, probably the most controversial one in this third category, the category of homosexuality. While I was in inner city Los Angeles, we had hundreds, as I've said already, of kids coming to Christ every single year. About the second year of this great outpouring, I was amazed because we started having dozens of gays and lesbians come into our youth group. And I had to decide, what do I do? I believe that's a destructive lifestyle that is not pleasing to God. So do I get him out of here so he can stay holy? We decided to do something revolutionary. We loved them. And we told them of the love of God. And we told them, your sin, your your struggle is like so many others that God wants you to be free from. And you know what began to happen? They began to change. And they began to experience the sanctifying, transformation work of God in their spirit, their soul, and their bodies. And more and more of these wonderful, needing love folks came into our church, in our youth group. And we rejoiced in that great work of God. I personally cringe whenever I see Christians holding placards that says, God hates facts. No, he doesn't. He might be, I've got to say this carefully, he might be more mad at you for holding that placard up than at them for living that lifestyle. He wants us to respond and reach out to broken peoples of all types, okay? If you're upset with that, if you really need to process that with me further, I I would ask you, don't be upset with Pastor John. Talk to me after service and we'll see if we can't clarify. And if you walk away today saying, That superintendent came in here and taught us that homosexuality is okay. If that's your conclusion, we want to provide a counseling budget for you. Okay? (laughs) Because I didn't say that, I didn't imply that, and I wouldn't. That's not my understanding of God's Word. But we do believe that personal holiness and social holiness are inseparable. We believe if God changes me, he is going to cause me and raise me up to be an agent of transformation in the world. And you need to pick an issue and get involved in it, an issue that hopefully doesn't require professional counseling. You need to pick an issue that that brings freedom to slaves, that brings transformation to broken people, that does something powerful and miraculous and Christ-like. And that is a prophetic response and a prophetic act, and that's consistent with our ministry family. And prophetic utterances are not for the evil world out there. When God speaks prophetically, he almost always speaks to his people in the chairs. That's who he's trying to reach. We're the agents of transformation. We're the hands and feet of God today, right? So he's not going to go, you evil people in the world. He's calling us to be the righteousness of Christ so that they can see a better way in a different way. So some people love the things that God loves, but they don't love God. Some people reject the things that God rejects, but don't love God and thereby do not take action consistent with God's love. And this is what I believe with all my heart. There's a prophetic call to break out against the born against mentality in the church today. Did you hear that? Not born again, born against. Because Christians today are known for what they're against. And let me touch on Brother Sun and Sister Moon. Can you imagine the creator of the heavens and earth, raising up his people to be against environmental care, against creation care? Why in the world would the creator of all things feel it's okay to destroy what he made? And yet the environmentalist community, they, they think, based on our on our behavior that we hate creation. They really do, I did my doctorate on this, trust me on this one, okay? Let me put it this way, our world's in trouble and we're gonna get that in a few minutes. Only the church can heal creation. We're not born against, we're born for. Creation cries out, waiting for the sons of God and the daughters of God to be revealed is what Scripture teaches. Verb, reach, to stretch out an arm in a specific direction in order to touch or grasp something. Here's how we're doing that in our ministry family just here in Southern California. Any of you ever heard of Empowering Lives International? You got to hear me on this, folks. That is a prophetic expression of reaching out. A new type of mission a new type of missionary, one that doesn't have a bun on the you know, you know, and, and instead is reaching out in a powerful way. And Pastor Don Rogers, my old college buddy, and, and by the way, he's one of those 250 pastors that I'm supposedly the boss of, try being Don's boss um, sweeping the world with glorious ministry, and, and it's just so, so exciting. And that's an example of prophetic activism today. Another example is cinema in focus. Do you know Pastor Denny Wayman from Santa Barbara Church? He was raised like I was raised, to be born against going to movies. How many of you were raised against going, going to movies? See, we were taught that if you go to a movie and Jesus comes back when you're in the movie, then you'll go to hell and you won't be raptured, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was all about that because movies were evil, you know? And I literally never saw a movie until I was 15 years old. And my parents were missionaries in the Philippines and I, I snuck out of our dorm up in, in the hills outside of Manila and hitchhiked down in Manila and I went and saw Herbie the Love Bug. And you know what? They were right. That Volkswagen was demon-possessed. How else could it do the things that it did if it wasn't filled with a demon, right? Of course, that's ridiculous, but we know that movies now are shaping our culture, and if we pull away and know nothing about it, then we're in trouble. So, Pastor Denny and Hal Conklin started Cinema in Focus. It's a social and spiritual commentary, and I would Challenge you to log on weekly and read their latest movie review that tells you what's redeeming and what's not redeeming about this particular film. There are even discussion guides on, on how you can be strengthened in your life. Another example uh, is Heavenly Treasures. You know, we were taught you couldn't do anything on Sunday, and certainly you would never sell anything in the church on Sunday. Right? Lisa, were you raised in that kind of a church? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, some of us were. But what about the poor? Can you sell products that the poor made so that it changes their lives? Kathy Galton with Heavenly Treasures has done that. And you know this. You've, you've had her here. All the prophets go back to helping the poor. The letter of the law kills. The Spirit gives life. She heard the prophetic call of God to take products life-changing products into the church. Keeping on. Black Sheep, Harley-Davidson for Christ. We certainly know the people who ride motorcycle are evil, right? <laughs> if you ride a Harley, especially, you can't possibly go to heaven. Marty Edwards is our pastor who planted the Temecula Church. Dear friend of mine, you've had him here too, right? Love Marty. Marty's an evangelist. He's not a pastor We call him Pastor Marty, but again, you go to Pastor Marty and you say, this is my problem. He's going to say, stop that. (laughs) And then he's going to say, let's lead people to Jesus. He's an evangelist. And he wanted to reach people that others weren't willing to reach. So he started Black Sheep, Harley Davidsons for Christ. And he hangs out with Hogg and, and the outlaw gang or outlaw biker groups and taking Christ in that way. Another group is Sudans. Pastor AJ Mora from our Herman Church went with Don and myself and others to Sudan. But before AJ was a pastor, by the way, he really is a pastor. He, he, he won't say, Don't do that. He'll just love you. Um, he, he was a DJ in dance clubs in Los Angeles. And that's always been on his heart. So when he came back from Sudan, he said, How can I help Sudan? And the Holy Spirit whispered, Start Sudan. Go in and minister in that community for that community. You can't do that. No, I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up. Can you not perceive it? Isn't that exciting? Some of you are going, I'm not sure. (laughs) Okay. I believe it's true. In my own life, um, well, excuse me, Bob Ellef, as you know, passed, some of you know, passed away a couple of months ago, but he started motor uh, racing outreach because people who are in the, in the uh, what's it called? NASCAR. Yeah, see, I'm not one of those guys. Um, they don't come to church on Sunday mornings, so Bob went to them on Sunday morning at, at their events and ministered to them. Here's my story real quick, and I'm way over time. I'm sorry, Carlos. Bottom line is, I was raised in the Philippines, beautiful, pristine environment, after 25 years, I went back and saw a destroyed environment. I also started ministering in Ethiopia, and everybody thinks Ethiopia is a desert. It's not, but it's becoming that. And I saw people suffering because of the destruction of the environment. And I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me start a ministry that plants trees and saves lives. And we have. This is the Udu Escarpment in Ethiopia in July 2005, the first day of planting. This is the same place five years later. And it is exciting. It's working like no one else. Here's how we break the cycle of, of, of deforestation. We start by breaking the cycle of extreme poverty by employing the unemployed. People are destroying their environment because they're desperately poor and trying to survive for one more day. So we employ them. We now have over 3,000 workers. Most are widows and single mothers. I read something about that in the New Testament. And sometime next month, we will surpass the 10 million tree milestone. And it only cost us 10 cents a seedling. Every other group on the planet is a dollar, $5, $10. I've heard as much as $36. And I don't have time to explain why we can do it so cost-effective. But we're now planting over 800,000 trees every month in Madagascar, Ethiopia, and Haiti. We're seeing whole villages come to Christ, turning from Islam to uh, Christ and from animism, which is spirit worship, to Christ. And I wish I could tell you more about that, but not time. Here's here's the bottom line. I want to thank you again today as I close for being used of God in this place in a manner that's consistent with restoration. You've been restored. Now you've got to understand, and you've got a prophet in front of you. You've got to respond, and you've got to reach. You can't be pew sitters. You are part of a movement of God. He's calling each and every one of you to reach out to your your local community and to the uttermost ends of the world. This is the day that God is doing a new thing. Do you believe me? Love God. Love the things that God loves and take action consistent with God's love and reject the things that God rejects but only take action in a manner consistent with His love.